It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Cliff McGarrion, Chief Executive Officer of University Hospitals Health System in Cleveland. Dr. McGarrion, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare right now and, and really a space for a lot of innovation and exciting things too. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure, it's a pleasure. You know, uh, I trained as a physician um, at the University of Michigan, got my MD there. And uh, to be honest with you, never really uh, had designs on the administrative role in my life. My whole goal was to be a, a, a competent and uh, maybe a meaningful surgeon who uh, is helpful to the field that I chose. I went into otolaryngology, which is ear, nose, and throat, and I did my residency actually here at the hospital uh, back in, started in 1988. Um, and um, after I finished, I was fortunate enough to get a fellowship in Boston in what's called neurootologic surgery. And when I was there, I was really um, surrounded by a lot, a lot of leaders in my field, and I really got the bug of wanting to get involved in, in leadership and medicine, but um, my my vision was maybe one day becoming a chairman of a department. And so I ultimately uh, started my career, but then returned back to Cleveland about 21 years ago with the goal of building um, the cochlear implant program. And then later became chair, and it was really during the time I was chairman of the department here at UH and Case Western Reserve that I really found the bug of realizing that um, if you run your organization at the time, it was simply our department, our small department, well, you can better serve your patients. And to do so, I had to study a lot of business principles. And um, I did not plan for this, but in a few years into my chairmanship, uh, the CEO at the time, uh, Tom Zenny, asked me to be the president of the physician group. And that was very serendipitous. Because to run that group, which eventually became 2,500 employed physicians, I was really overseeing a large P&L, a large business. In other words, I was fully responsible for the profit and loss uh, of that business. And I was think I think through that experience, which really went from 2014 to 2019, I um, started to see the bigger aspects of the responsibility of leadership of a hospital system, which includes everything from creating a culture or a strategic plan. And um, ultimately, although I never really planned on it happening, I, um, I was selected uh, to be CEO at the end of 2019. And so it's been a really a, a three-year journey of taking an unbelievably powerful brand in this region and a historically important organization, nearly 160 years old, that has had decades, really century or and a half of success and um, having inherited the responsibilities for the period of time that I'm here to uh, take it uh, to the next level. And um, I've been very, very fortunate in being able to have a number of fantastic teammates, both in the clinical leadership, senior leadership and the board that came together with me and helped me, frankly, 
create a strategic plan and a vision that was in line with the needs of the emerging healthcare economy. So again, I think that the, the interesting is I never started my career with the goal of becoming a CEO uh, of a healthcare organization. Um, I'm a surgeon by training and um, I fell into it by a series of serendipitous events, but I'm very happy I'm here. That's such a fascinating story, and definitely to see how far you've come, and then to take over as CEO in 2019, uh, right before the pandemic, and everything that's happened over the last few years. What an amazing time to be leading the organization and really uh, being focused on, you know, uh, trying to treat patients and lead through this time. And then now, I know digital transformation is a huge part of what you're doing as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you think about digital transformation, obviously it's something that you don't just choose to do, you have to do. And in the end of the day, to me, and I think to our team, what digital transformation really entails is the notion of using the most advanced tools to make it easy as possible for your patients to seek care, continue receiving care, and to get care in the right place and time. In other words, moving from a phone call and having to touch a number of different people in different departments to get an appointment, at least on the access side. And uh, we're doing that really with um, the, our transition to Epic, but the latest possible, most sophisticated version of Epic uh, that we're installing uh, to help us with that. But we're also using um, AI technology, bot technology, with the agile scheduling solutions that allow us to predict demand and in, in, in staff accordingly, not only in our clinics, uh, our ambulatory surgery centers, and in our, in our inpatient acute care service sites. And, and we use uh, partnerships with Agility, which is a great company with Epic, but we also have a tremendous amount of homegrown, brilliant people in our innovations department helping us everything from workforce management, digitizing HR functions. Uh, we work with Axual uh, that helps us and is going to help us streamline credentialing. We have stepped up and optimized our virtual telehealth uh, capacities, not only with our ambulatory visits, but even in our UH urgent care program. And now we're partnering with WellCare to stand up 36 urgent care sites and obviously, we even use AI to optimize patient experience, wait times in the ER. But really, where the rubber meets the road is in using uh, digital mechanisms and uh, artificial intelligence technologies. For example, like temp, temp track. Um, it's a continuous temper mon temp temperature monitoring patches that enable us to predict up to eight hours earlier than current standards of care to detect when someone may be having an infection or worse, uh, moving along the path to sepsis. And this has really important implications and has shown great benefit, for example, in our bone marrow transplant patients. So the notion of a digital um, transformation is multifactorial. It should involve your patient access, your throughput, your scheduling, your flow, it should also touch your workforce management as it relates to understanding load balancing. You know, we have 21 hospitals 
50 major medical office buildings and over 300 practice sites. And this allows us to load balance throughout the system, whether it's intensive care, but using these digital strategies. But finally, I think where the real value is going to be as it relates to digital strategies and artificial intelligence, which obviously is a digital strategy, is being able to be predictive in patient care, not only in the acute setting, like I mentioned with TempTrack, but also in population health. You know, we touch about 1.6 million individual patients a year, and we have one of the largest primary care networks, and really the, the value is preventing disease. And to be able to have digital technologies that are worming their way through our EMR in helping our primary care doctors and our population health teams predict where patients could potentially be vulnerable to a test that's not done or a screening mammography that should have been done and hasn't been done and or technology that allow us to see if we have a new patient with a particular set of conditions, what's the most beneficial pathway for that patient, even using genomic background. So I think the notion of digital transformation is really multifactorial. Absolutely. I love that kind of overview of all the different initiatives that you're doing at university hospitals. I think, you know, it's so fascinating to look at how the digital technologies really have advanced so far in the last two years, especially from the virtual care to how it's being used on the operational side of the health system and the data that you can collect. And then I love the idea of getting more predictive with it. And that's certainly a journey as well. Um, when you think about the the predictive nature in moving in that direction. What have been some of the challenges in doing that? And, and uh, you know, how far are you, I guess, on your journey of be becoming more predictive and in, in where are you headed in the future? Well, I think there's, there's, there's always the big one, right? The big, if you will, obstacle of making any sort of change is the normal human tendencies to at times resist change uh, because it's something new. And, you know, there's this old book that is, that I think you probably remember, it's called Who Moved My Cheese? And the human tendency of just doing something different, even if it intellectually or academically is proven to be a better outcome, there is still the training, the adoption, the buy-in of whatever constituency is going to do something different. So that's number one, right? And that has to, that has to do with culture. And can your culture allow for swift implementation of positive change and get through the notion that someone has to do something different than they're used to doing. So that's always number one. That's why a culture is very, very important. I think the second is always cost. But if your organization is picking, looking at the big picture and looking at the notion that increased safety, improved outcomes, ultimately will provide value and you are a value provider and your contracts allow for provisions for uh, rewarding, if you will, value attainment, then you could do the math to justify some of these investments. Um, I think, you know, those are the big things. And ultimately, where you really want to get to the point, in my opinion, is to the point which I think we're getting there where these ideas about innovative digital strategy, and sometimes not even digital, just process change, 
is not coming from the top down. It's bubbling up from the individual constituencies. So we have so many different teams that are creating their own solutions because we've adopted a culture of welcoming change and a speak-up culture where people are allowed to give ideas. So I think that's really where you want to get to, because if you want senior leadership to be the only driver of change as it relates to whatever strategy, but let's talk about digital transformation and and innovative uh, artificial intelligence uh, transformations, you're never going to get as far as you can, you need a group of people running with you to get far. And that's what I'm so proud of is is our teams. We get ideation and positive momentum out of all of our service lines now because we encourage them to think differently. That's amazing. I love that philosophy and certainly seems to be working really well at UH. So thank you for laying that out for us. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about workforce shortages and challenges, which are significant for health systems across the country um, and in really industries uh, beyond healthcare as well. So what are you doing at um, university hospitals to boost your workforce? How do you think about that uh, for what you're able to do now and then, you know, growth in the future? You know, this is a question that I thought a lot about, of, a lot about and, um, and we've thought a lot about. And, and, and I'll give you uh, three answers, and then I could elaborate. What are we doing about workforce shortage? The three answers are, number one, keeping the workers we have. That's the most important part of anybody's workforce strategy today based on the escalation of turnover rates. And I'll get into how we're doing that. Number two is to increase your pipeline. In other words, realize that this is not going away. For example, in nursing, we have 1.5 million nurses short in the United States, and that's predicted to grow. So you have to figure out how to increase your pipeline. We're fortunate enough in Cleveland and Northeast Ohio to have nearly 30 nursing schools. So we are working with each of them with a separate strategy to help them grow their classes, but also help them by providing clerkship training opportunities that we hope, if they have a good experience at UH, will increase the movement of people here. The third major strategy of dealing with the workforce shortages is ideating about what is the workforce of tomorrow. Does it have to mirror today's workforce? In other words, if you have a particular unit, let's say, that today in the last 30 years has been made up of one phenotype of a clinical professional, does that have to go on that way or could it be made up of a team of professionals with people with different levels of certification who could work together as a team? So you may not need as many of one particular phenotype, but you could grow a diverse workforce. So we're modeling that as well. But let's get back, I think, to the first strategy, which I mentioned as, a, as it relates to workforce, which is keeping the poise that you have, in other words, reducing turnover. What we're doing here is trying to, and I think we're being successful because the numbers are showing it, is leveraging our university hospitals as a unique culture and that culture as a differentiator 
to keep people here and also for option two, drive more people to work here. I've really done this through, if you will, six different ways. Number one, very clear transparency during good times as well as bad times. Not hiding facts, being completely transparent through town halls, constant communication by myself and other leaders about what's going on during COVID and they gain trust during the financial challenges of 22 and now. Number two, it involves engaging and connecting with caregivers in ways that are even unique and clever. So obviously I mentioned town halls, we started executive rounding, we have constant entity visits. We've even started things like book clubs where, we, where I lead a book club every month and it's grown. People from all walks of life, from pharmacy to environmental services to the physician staff to the nursing staff to the accounting staff gather to discuss books, oftentimes very powerful books. And they're available online for free through our partnership with um, Overdrive and Libby, which is a um, fantastic Cleveland-based company that uh, digitizes library books. And this has grown into almost a form of a, a safe space for us to get together with me to discuss very challenging topics, uh, both in life and healthcare. These sort of cultural things, I think, are helpful. Number three, we encourage a speak up culture. We reward people for coming up with new ideas. We encourage people to constructively criticize the organization or what we're doing to see if there's a better way. Number four, we solicit ideas from everyone. For example, when we were going through a cost reduction strategy last year, and we took out nearly $350 million out of our $5.6 billion budget, which we had to to lower our cost structure. We solicited ideas from the entire 32,000 employees. We called it the Value Ideas Prize Competition. And we elicited nearly 600 ideas from people in all walks of life in the organization and gave prizes, uh, cash prizes, um, if they would lead to a meaningful improvement in process, cost savings, and or safety improvement. Number five, we have a very vigorous program of recognition. We have what's called the Cliff Appreciates, where I have coffee uh, and it's videotaped of a hero, we'll call them, who does something very special, whether it be delivers kind care and is recognized for that, or has come up with a new solution, or has been recognized repeatedly by patients for their excellence. We have a dinner with the doc where I take doctors out who've been nominated by their peers for excellence in professionalism or kindness or service or many other things. And these are broadcast and reported. We do a Frontline Heroes blog almost every month where we highlight people who've done special things we have a blog from me and many other leaders that comes out every month that really talks about excellence within our midst at every level, right? It has to be every level. It cannot be just doctors and nurses. This goes to valets. This goes to people who work in, interestingly, the leech facility. We have a bunch of people who do free flap surgeries, which is a procedure where you move 
a body part to another body part to fill in a defect, a wound defect. Interestingly, from time to time, those free flaps get engorged with blood, and we have to buy leeches. Can you imagine? It's a medieval thing, but it's standard practice. If we had someone figured out how to make our own leech colony that are sterile in the pharmacy department, so we have a ready supply, and that person was one of those heroes. And we're constantly trying to create a sense of belonging. Going back to recognition, we have rolling out a new program called Kindness Matters. One of our major differentiators as an organization, and we're noted for, is the brand of care that they deliver, which is characterized by kindness and compassion, where the patient feels are treated as an individual and not as a number. And that actually has been validated through focus groups. And now we are rewarding and having leaders in Kindness Matters. And we constantly are creating a sense of belonging through a number of initiatives, including diversity, equity, and belonging, and um, employee uh, resource groups around different groups of employees who have different interests and shared interests. And this takes a lot of work, but it is paying off because, as you may or may not know, Forbes magazine just recognized us as the top workplace for a hospital our second year in a row in Ohio. And I don't think those are coincidences. We also have workforce development programs where we have a step up to UH program where we recruit in parts of our city and our communities that are chronically underemployed and unemployed for workforce readiness coaching. And we've gotten grants for this as well. We do job-specific training. They get entry-level jobs at UH, and then we create tuition reimbursement to help them create their careers here at UH. We have earned and learned apprenticeship programs for in-demand positions. We have pathway programs for UH non-degreed and non-credentialed employees who are being paid less than a certain amount an hour, and we provide coaching and career management to get them into the next level job. We have a program called Bridge Your Future and College Readiness, where we help try to encourage people to take our tuition reimbursement and go on to a college and higher level degree so they can come back as long as they stay at UH. For our physicians, we've created the UH Health Scholars Program, which is where we go into the high schools. and We've created a five-year educational opportunity for underrepresented minority Cleveland area high school students and get them into STEM programs where we actually help coach them and mentor them with the goal of allowing them to be competitive for great colleges, but also with an emphasis on creating the future doctors and nurses of tomorrow. And this has been highly successful. We just graduated our first class last year of the, from high school, and of the 18 students graduating, all 17 of them, were accepted to college and have gone to college. The one took a year off to do a gap year because that person wanted to go to a, a particular college which required a gap year. So through these programs, through these programs, Step Up to UH like programs, we've hired or promoted nearly 300 new caregivers in 2022 with an 88% retention rate in the first year, which as you know, around the country, retention rates in the first year in some cases are less than 50%. So we think this is very successful. That's amazing. Wow, what a, what a great program and certainly something that 
um, you know, I can imagine is really motivating. I, I know you went through several different action items here in terms of what really makes uh, UH a great workplace and something that, um, you know, is, is, is just a place where they can, like you said, feel like they belong and um, share their ideas and are recognized for the great ideas that they have. And so, you know, it, it's very inspiring to hear everything that you're doing. And, you know, from your perspective, um, I know you talked just your last example in particular about the education kind of growing and measuring how successful people are. You know, when you look at uh, some of the different initiatives that you have in ways that you're really improving the culture and um, making UH a, a better place and, and better experience for patients as well. How do you really look at that? You know, is there a way that you measure success of, of those initiatives more broadly or, or really just look at the feedback that you're getting and the engagement that you get with from your team, um, you know, to, to really move the needle? You know, that's a great question. I think you have to look at both. Uh, I don't think you would, we would be honest with ourselves if we just felt the love and the happiness and the accolades of the success of the program. You have to measure it. And I, so for example, we, we look at our, obviously if we're doing all these things, we better see that our job fill rate is trending positive. And the good news in Q1 2023, it's very, very positive. Our total external fills are up 10% over last year. Our RN nursing job fills are up 37% over last year. Our turnover rate has dropped significantly, uh, both in overall turnover rate and first-year turnover rate. And I think the thing that the audience would be interested in, which was a challenge that befell, befell all of us last year, is our agency count and estimated spend has dropped close to 50% in terms of spend from last year, month to month. So that I think is very, very important. You have to measure it. And the good news is if you were doing all those things and nothing was changing, I think that you'd have to question the validity of it. But the good news is it's working. But I don't think we should measure as a large academic health system only um, in only staffing physician, positions. We also have to look at really the uh, the um, the clinicians as well, the department chairs, scientists, and we've been able to recruit and retain absolute clinical and research superstars, uh, including MDs and PhDs. When we have openings or when we have a retirement um, in pathology, urology, surgery, medicine, radiology, pediatrics, radiation oncology, psychiatry, biochemistry, cancer immunology, we've Recently, you know, had a need based on a movement of one of our leaders in uh, hematology oncology. We were able to recruit one of the nation's superstars from Columbia University. We were searching for a new chief of uh, transplant surgery, and we were able to recruit an incredible leader, Zoe Stewart from NYU, is one of the leading leaders in solid organ transplantation. So I feel very good that in all levels, we're able to uh, recruit uh, really rock stars. And we really have an eye toward diversity in, uh, as well and making sure that we are uh, attracting uh, diverse candidates of uh, both gender, uh, race, 
and uh, we are uh, tracking very well in that regard. There's a couple of accolades, you know, I mentioned one of them, certainly uh, the Forbes Best Large Employer uh, for Hospital, uh, one of the top in the country, uh, but certainly best in Ohio. Uh, we won uh, this year uh, Fortunes, uh, one of the uh, Innovation Awards. We were ranked number one for innovation culture among health systems in Ohio. We recently won um, the award for the best online reputation uh, in the state, and I think number 17 in the nation. And um, at the sphere, which I think goes to the culture, it's our 11th year in a row as being one of America's most ethical companies. And I think you have to play that game because you could feel really good about what you're doing, but if you don't have external validation that you really are distinguishing yourself, um, then you may not be as good as you think. And I'm not saying we're where we need to be. We need to be better every day. Absolutely. That's such a great point. And, you know, I really just appreciate you talking through the things that you're doing to become a great workplace and an innovative workplace. That's so impressive. Um, but then to, you know, ethical and, you know, workplace with the culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. Um, it's just, is really, really amazing to see how that can um, be effective in, in, uh, know that your culture is so ingrained um, or that's so ingrained in your culture, because like you said, you know, internally you can look and move in any way that you feel, but um, to have that external validation is really, really um, impressive. And I think though, I have to add, you know, modern healthcare, uh, the last two years has selected us as one of the top 10 hospital systems in the U.S. as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion as it relates to the diversity in our uh, our staff, our senior leadership, and our board. So last two years, you can look it up, we were uh, in the top 10. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so, such a, so impressive. And to really have that as an intentional goal of yours, um, you know, is awesome to see and something that I know a lot of other organizations aspire to. So um, that that's really great. Now, you know, before we wrap up here, and I know we've uh, had you here for a while, so I appreciate your time. Right. What, are, you. what are your big uh, opportunities for growth over the next two to three years here? Well, you know, I, I think that it, it really falls around the notion of combining our four major differentiators, specifically being an organization whose brand of care is kindness and compassion, coupled with being a value maximizer, uh, coupled with the third being a leader in scientific discovery and a beacon of hope for patients, but the fourth being a partner with all of our communities and being the hometown team. But I, I think the growth uh, that we expect to see are, uh, that are already beginning are in our centers of excellence where we have really developed bundles and carve-outs for excellent care in a variety of different uh, venues and sometimes direct to employer. Um, be, being perceived by insurance companies as a value maximizer and creating more and more narrow network uh, programs. In preventive care is very important. Growing the excellence of our cancer center, which is one of the top in the nation, uh, with particular attention to immunotherapy and um, CAR T cell therapy, which has grown uh, significantly. Our um, very innovative high-end surgical programs particularly around heart and vascular, neurosciences, transplant, cancer surgery, and 
specifically in our relationship uh, with the NFL and the Cleveland Browns as becoming um, really the market leader in sports medicine. Um, and we're seeing uh, all those things uh, come to fruition. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of exciting things on the board and, and definitely, um, you know, looking forward to seeing them grow and pan out and um, hopefully, you know, everything will just fall into place. So I'm looking forward to that and definitely seems like you're making a huge impact on so many people, whether it's the internal teams and the communities you serve and then, you know, through other partnerships uh, expanding just well beyond the uh, Cleveland and Ohio area. So thank you so much, Dr. McGarrigan, for being here on the podcast today. And thank you as well for speaking at our annual meeting in April. It was just, you know, so much fun to have you there and uh, really learn from you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to work with you and, and, and with Beckers and I look forward to more opportunities.